Hey everybody, thanks again for tuning in and welcome to episode three of the Action Research Podcast. Somehow, the first podcast dedicated solely to action research. My name is Adam Stieglitz, PhD candidate at the University of Louisville and co-founder of the Andean Alliance for Sustainable Development, a social change organization located way up in the highlands of Peru. And I'm Joe Levitan, an assistant professor and graduate program director at McGill University, also the co-founder of the Sacred Valley Project, an educational nonprofit, and the Payata Community Education Center, also in the highlands of Peru. We are your hosts for this podcast. So welcome to episode three. In this first series of episodes to kick off the podcast, we have simply been exploring what action research is. Uh, In the first episode, we broke down a few well-known definitions to pull out the major characteristics of action research. And in the last episode, episode two, Joe interviewed me about my current dissertation research to hopefully add some context to all the jargon we've been throwing around and show what action research actually looks like in the field. In today's episode, I'm going to return the favor. I'm going to put Joe in the spotlight and interview him. Specifically, I want to hear more from him about what the past few years have been like in academia as an action research and what I can expect once I finish my doc degree. So if you're thinking about becoming an action researcher, this episode is geared especially towards you. Joe, what do you think? Does that sound about right? That sounds good to me. Okay, let's just jump into it then. I'm going to start with just a couple layups and then hopefully put you in the corner with some harder questions. But first, can you tell me just how you got into doing action research? Sure. In one short sentence, I got into action research accidentally. When I first finished my undergraduate degree, which is in philosophy at Brandeis University, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something of value. Uh, I'm originally from Baltimore, and so I I enrolled in a master's program in education at Teachers College, Columbia University, and was looking at both kind of social justice and peace education in Baltimore, as well as looking at international education development, because I'd done some work internationally before uh, in college. So one day, a friend of mine, Alex Ball, who's the co-founder of the project, called me up out of the blue and asked me to help him start a nonprofit in Peru because his goddaughter wanted to go to school, but she couldn't because she lived too far away from the near secondary school to commute. She's from a Quechua-speaking community in the upper highland of the Peruvian Andes, and he really was motivated and really felt a need to, to support her desire to go to school. Since I was getting a master's degree in education, he thought I would be a good person to help facilitate this process and think through some of the things we needed to think through. So we started the Sacred Valley Project in 2010, and from then on, I had all these questions that I didn't know how to answer. A lot of the work that we were doing was, to me, kind of ethically challenging because we were these two white dudes trying to figure out how to make sure that these students got what they wanted and needed. And, you know, being in a master's program, I learned all about these theories like decolonizing, post-colonial theory, critical theory, and development theory, and human capital theory, and all these things, and they all had these different assumptions about them. But none of them answered the real question, which is in this particular space with these particular students, we were working with Alex's goddaughter as well as other young women who wanted to go to secondary school but didn't have access. 
So what are we, you know, what are these students really want? What do they need? What are their values? And how do we make sure that their values, needs, and wants are actually represented in our organization? And the only way to do that, I learned later on, but what I kind of discovered accidentally was through this process of action research or co-learning. Once I'd been working for a few years, I ended up enrolling to a PhD program at Penn State. There I found a word for what I had been doing prior to that which was action research. And so I started to formalize this process a little bit, but I realized that a lot of the tenets and characteristics of action research were part of something that was innate in what I was thinking about. Gotcha. That's quite the story, Joe. I think we should jump into the deep end a little bit. I'm going to start turning up the heat a little bit, but before I do, is there anything else you want to say about, you know, you're just being a white guy in Peru and some of like the ethics behind that. I know it's really important to address our own positionality and the work that we do as researchers. Is there anything else that you want to add in, in relation to the ethics of being a white guy in indigenous regions in South America? Yeah, um, there's a lot to talk about. I think we should probably devote a whole episode to that at some point, but I can say a little bit more now. The thing to me that is really important for everything that I do is the ethical background of what I'm doing and making sure that what I have, the relationships that I cultivate and the communities and connections that I build and the work that I do is aligned with a shared sense of what is good and how do we define what is good is usually done in a community, in a community setting. So going down to Peru the first time and then subsequently you know, my uh, colleague slash wife, Kayla Johnson, and I started another project based on the informal conversations we had with members of the community of Payata because there was kind of an ethical and moral component to these informal conversations of saying, look, this is something we really need. We've identified it. We don't have the, the money or access to money that we need to, for example, start a education center. Can you facilitate this process? To me, that is in the relationships that I have, that becomes an ethical obligation. And in Quechua, that's called Aini, in the sense of reciprocity, because in the community, we become members of a network of people who have shared obligations amongst each other. And that ethical norm is really important. Uh, it's something that I learned while in Peru that I think happens in the U.S. in other ways, but it is a shared cultural norm that is part of this underlying ethics of how to exist in community. And after seven or eight years, when I finally became part of the community in a way that was embedded, that was really important to me. So when we talk about reflexivity and our positionality and you know, being a white dude coming from the quote unquote global North American citizen, I work in Canada, you know, I'm a professor, so I'm a member of this academic uh, elite, if you want to call it that. What is the role in which I can use the power that I have and embody to facilitate opportunities and transfer power, not in a sense of giving it, but in a sense of breaking down barriers to power for others um, in my work? And that's really like the philosophical underpinnings of how I think about my work. That means that some of these things are a little bit fluid, fluid conceptualizations of what power is, who has power, and how do we break down barriers to power. And there's different conceptualizations of power to, power with, and power over. So I'll try to shirk off the power over and facilitate power to and power with. That's some of what I think about in terms of how 
ethics and our positionality works. I see myself as a bridge builder and facilitator rather than a director or initiator. And I think that's an ethical stance that's really important in action research. And I think it's also really important when we are talking about our current state of society. Uh, we have a lot of people who want to direct and own things and take over things. We don't have as many people who want to facilitate and collaborate and build things. Here's what, here's what, here's what I want to segue to after that, right? Because you talk about power, right? And you talk about often your role in the community and the discussions that, that you've been having with people there and identifying the challenges that you collectively uh, aim to address through research. So the purpose of today's specific episode is to lay a little bit of a foundation for what somebody who is interested in action research or pursuing action research uh, might expect, right, as in making a, a career out of that. So given the ethics of action research, given all of the, the structures that on one hand you've put into place yourself, on another hand, I think I can speak for both of us in saying that things were just kind of presented themselves organically and you just follow a certain path and before you know it, you're doing action research, right? Given both of those angles, putting intention behind action research, but also just sort of being aware of what's happening around you, you know, what would you tell somebody who was considering action research as their primary methodology and, and getting involved with it through an academic lens? I think that for somebody who's interested in getting into action research, one of the biggest challenges in my mind in action research is that you are both doing a project, you know, building an education center, creating the curriculum. Uh, Kayla and I have a publication talking about some of this called Salir Adelante. Um, it's published in the American Journal of Education. And also navigating the ways in which um, your action is a rich space for learning. Uh, to me, research is really about learning at its root. So when we do research, we're trying to learn something. And action, you know, from Dewey, John Dewey, the famous philosopher of education, to Paulo Freire and his conception of praxis, when you do something, if you reflect upon it, then you learn. And that's really what I think action research is about. So you need to build in to your action spaces for reflection and collecting information to reflect upon, which is also considered data. But that means that you need to have a, you know, as an expectation, you need to have kind of a fluid and flexible mindset. So for example, when Kayla and I started working with the Payata community to develop the education center, we first had a bunch of information that we had learned from the Sacred Valley Project work that we had done. And we took some of that to Payata and then reflected upon it with them. That, was, that allowed us to build a really cool space where the parents of Payata and students were able to then decide what curricular aims they wanted to have for the education center. And so a lot of what you do is trying to be opportunistic in a positive way, in a productive way, by finding connections, by making these connections between practice and research and then learning how to share that with others. So what to expect is a lot of messiness. You expect uh, a lot of long conversations that don't feel like they're going anywhere. And then all of a sudden there's these huge moments of insight and you have something to move forward with. 
you can expect a lot of work that feels like it's really tedious. And then all of a sudden things move really quickly and you feel very productive. Your research work can seem really messy and confusing and chaotic. And then all of a sudden you find certain threads that you can weave together to build a very beautiful tapestry of research that you publish. Those are the kind of things that you can expect. So building relationships is, cru is crucial, right? And the way that, and not just any relationship, but relationships that are meaningful and, and have a foundation based on, on trust, right? And willingness to collaborate. Mm -hmm. But in addition, um, it's kind of messy, right? Like you don't just sit down and plan a study um, from start to finish and say, this is what I'm going to be doing in the field, right? You have to be open and to allowing for the process to be fluid and kind of come to you as much as you come to it. Would you say that's accurate? You got that right. I mean, I really ran into a wall with that as I plan my own dissertation research because in my field, or at least in the program I was at, most people are more traditional as it becomes to, as, as it relates to, um, you know, planning a study. And they kept wanting to see, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And I was struggling because I didn't know, right? That's not the worldview that I have as it relates to doing research, right? And then somebody, a colleague of mine, Alfredo Ortiz, who's also an action researcher, sent me an article that really focused on the nature of emergence and allowing for the process to emerge. And that one article, it just sent me in the right direction. Like, okay, it's okay to take my research step by step by step and allow for one source of information to lead to the next, to lead to the next. And I've kind of been, I wouldn't say smooth sailing ever since, but it set me in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great example. And that's, that's kind of how it works, right? So as action researchers, the role of reflexivity is to understand kind of where we're coming from and what paradigms and frameworks or theories we use to think about research and then hopefully break free of them. You know, there's a danger of having a single theory that you use if you're doing action research, because what you're fundamentally doing is building a collaborative environment where what you need to do is always oriented towards some good, but that's going to look very different depending on the context and the people in that and what their needs are. So I think what you said was really accurate. Cool. And I think related to, you know, something I would imagine is worth pulling out has to do with, I don't know, I guess one's commitment to a study, right? And that's not to say that any researcher is not committed to their work, right? But I feel like, at least from a time perspective, like action research is somewhat unique because a, a word that's commonly thrown around is this idea that it's iterative, mm -hmm. right? Which I think is worth noting as something you might want to consider before you dedicate yourself to a field of action research. Is that something that you think you could um, talk about a little bit more? Yeah, I think the time, the concept of time and the use of time in action research is radically different than other conceptualizations of research. So for example, you know, like you said, Adam, in your PhD work, um, people were like, so what are you doing? How are you going to plan out your study in action research? Ideally, you're planning out your study with everybody who is involved in the project, whatever that is. So, for example, one of the projects that I did as an action research project was with the Sacred Valley Project and it was with the students. So we used the student voice framework, which is an action research 
you know, at its root, the way that I approached it was an action research framework was to figure out what the students really wanted out of their education. They're sacrificing so much, you know, they leave their families to go to a, a town for an education that that's supposed to be culturally grounded and identity responsive. And we can talk about what that means and how we learned about that. But we're really trying to facilitate the education of students so they can achieve their dreams. But we don't know what their dreams are necessarily, we can assume, but we don't actually know. So we went into this action research project thinking about how to define what the students' dreams are. And what that meant was we had to do five or six rounds of discussion because every time that we did this reflective process with the students and that we did these kind of what are considered Socratic conversations, so the students led the conversation, they asked the questions, but each conversation, it got deeper and richer and more nuanced. And so, you know, over the course of three years, we were able to develop a really deep understanding, but it took three years to do this. And that's just the action part. The research part is a whole nother facet of it. So, you know, somebody who spends three years, not consecutively, on a project, that's more than what an anthropologist usually does. They usually do one year for their studies. That's more than what you know quantitative researchers do, which is often like pulling up data and then working with it to manipulate it to create publications. You have a you know you have a very different set of expectations. So time is really different because you put on a lot of hats as an action researcher, and it means that you're doing a bunch of things consecutively. So everything goes a little bit more slowly because you have so many different things to do. Okay, so I have 1.5 questions left. Um, I'm going to start with the 0.5, which is a follow-up to the one that you just, that you just said, um, because I think it's important to address given the structure of academia. So you're on the tenure track, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so I know that was like a big topic of discussion amongst me and my cohort, and my current cohort, right, as a PhD student as far as what that means um, is that something that is for everybody? And, um, you know, personally, one of the things that started to push me away from tenure track was the sort of rigid requirements that come with it, right? Because I know part of that, it depends on the institution. And I don't mean to generalize too much, but, you know, I know one, one more, I think more general um, uh, characteristic of tenure is that, uh, you know, you have to have a certain amount of publications, right? And you along with your teaching and I'm sure some other um, requirements as well. But what, what I also hear you saying is that action research takes time. You know, you invested years into one single investigation. Um, and that was really just about identifying the problem. To me, that seems like a little bit of a clash. And, and it was one of the reasons why I started to steer away from the tenure track and more towards the realm of like, with the, you know, what I hear tossed around as practitioner scholarship. Um, so again, going back to what someone might expect or should consider getting into the field of action research within academia, how, how, would, how would you so come up with a solution with that, with, with that contradiction a little bit? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I know I say that a lot, but it is a great question. Each university is different. So everybody, every university, and even every department within the university has different requirements for what counts as tenure. One of the things that you can do when you're applying for a tenure track job is negotiate some of those components of tenure a little bit, or at least what counts towards tenure. Sometimes you don't have much negotiation power at all because the university is 
large and it's a slow moving machine that really has its kind of criteria set out. But you can work a little bit with your chair um, to figure out what is gonna count as research and justify that. Um, so for my, in my example, we're supposed to put out you know, two to four publications a year and that means we need to do a lot of writing. And that's just you know, the way the university functions. Um, it's a research intensive university, so it's about publishing research. When you do action research, one of the things that's really cool about action research, if you can um, swing it, is once you get your ethics approval and you have a three-year project, there are little sub-learning spaces. You know, there might be really great insights that you can publish on even before the full study is finished. So action research as a field is a really rich place to explore ideas because you can publish something, say, oh, I had this experience. I'm trying to figure out what to pull from it, what knowledge uh, we co-created here, and if it's relevant to other people, and you can publish that. Um, you know, there are journals for that, the Journal of Action Research, Educational Action Research, the Canadian Journal of Action Research, uh, amongst many others, um, where, you know, things that are within the paradigm of action research, when your methods are about doing, you know, doing something and reflecting upon it, you can do those kinds of things. Uh, you know, one of the things that I did as a graduate student was I created a method called accidental ethnography with two colleagues who were my supervisors, uh, Davin Karchelman and Ali Karchelman. And that was published in the Journal of Action Research because accidental ethnography was about how do we take data that was unlooked for and unexpected from our work as practitioners and then share that with uh, others? Or how do we take not necessarily data, but learning? to then create scholarly work that will be of use to others in the same field or in other fields. So action research requires a lot of creativity and the tension between kind of the, the, the rigor slash overly structured nature of what a tenure track job is and the flexibility and kind of free flowing by the seat of your pants work of action research requires a uneasy merging, but it can be done. I think that was really valuable information for anybody who is considering this. And, and actually, it's, it's uh, making me wonder, you know, if there still is hope for me on the tenure track. <laughs> um, well, I, I think I still need to get a little bit more, um, you know, formal experience under my belt. But it's good to know. I mean, that, that really um, was insightful. So thanks for sharing that. Um, I have... I guess I, there's one last question, right? Because we can't get off, we can't end this podcast without hearing about, I would say some of the, the major challenges or frustrations that, an action, that you have experienced as an action researcher, um, formally embedded in, in academia. I'm sure there's plenty, but uh, maybe for the sake of time, we can just pull out one or maybe two of like the, the first things that rise to the surface for you as the greatest challenge in being an action researcher. I think the first thing that's really important to recognize about the challenges of action research is that fundamentally you're working, collaboration is not easy. And collaboration requires, you know, requires a certain skill set of the individual, so of ourselves as action researchers, but it also requires a certain uh, orientation and skill set within the communities that you work with. Fortunately for you and I, collaboration is something that happens really readily in my experience in Quechua communities. Um, I've 
learned so much from my colleagues about how to um, collaborate in, in positive ways. And that doesn't mean that these communities are perfect spaces, but fundamentally compared to what I have seen elsewhere, the process of collaborating is much smoother than in my experience, for example, collaborating in Canada or collaborating in the United States. So one of the biggest frustrations that a lot of people have is the role of collaboration and you know, how do we make sure that everybody's interests, needs, identities, and kind of proclivities are honored and appreciated in a productive way, recognizing that we're all going to have to give up something. We're going to have to sacrifice something to get the collaboration done. And that is a really huge frustration. That's also often why a lot of collaborative projects fail, because we're not willing to give up something or another, or we're not being honored, you know, with our needs, our aspirations, and our identities. In their, proper, in their appropriate ways. So I think that's a huge thing that action researchers have been working on, but it's also a huge frustration for action researchers. Um, secondly, in the realm of academia, there are a number of challenges because everybody has, you know, in academia, everybody has a domain that they feel very proud of and special about. And that leads to some, some forms of provincialism that I think can be really problematic in academia. And it also means that no matter what you do, you're gonna be open for criticism from one group or another. Um, you know, maybe you're not reflexive enough, or maybe you're not action-oriented enough, or maybe you're not research-oriented enough, or maybe you're too reflexive and you're, and you're being self-indulgent, or maybe your work is still found, founded on this neo-colonial, you, you don't even know it, but you know, something that you said, has some implications for this kind of problematic behavior. All of these things are part of the realm of academia that can be very frustrating when you're trying to do real work that actually positively influences the lives of people and thinking about the ethics of that and understanding the sensitivity and the challenges of those ethics. So, you know, one of the frustrations that I've seen in action research is one, people who do really great work, who write papers that are not quite as developed as other people write, get criticized for that. But they're like, but this is really great work, so why am I not getting credit for it? And then there's secondly, people who write really well, but whose work you know, in the, in the field itself is maybe not as developed because they devote more time to these other things, have a sense of like, uh, you know, ethical quandary because what they really wanna do is, is do the work. So there's all kinds of like minefields to wade through, but, Fortunately for us as action researchers, and I think for the field in general, most people are pretty kind and, and considerate. You know, they will frame their criticisms in ways that are productive instead of destructive. And they will ask you to consider different perspectives instead of being demanding. And I think that's something that the field of action research really thrives on. Um, and I think it's something that's really important. They're still very critical, but the way in which they express their criticality is much more about learning rather than tearing somebody down. Um, and I think that's because we have the shared ethical vision of what we're doing as researchers. All right, so I think it's time to start wrapping up this episode. I'm gonna do my best to sum up some of the key points that I heard you say before we actually put an end to it. Is that okay? Yeah, sounds good. All right, so here, here are my bigger takeaways based on what you shared in relation to what one might consider or expect in getting into the field of action research. One, you can't overlook the importance of trust-based relationships. And that's a process, right? 
it's important to, to create or find a way to create relationships with the people who you're going to be work, working with and collaborating with on, on the research. Next, action research is messy, right? You can't quite sit down and just plan everything out, right? There's an emergent nature to it, which means that things are going to come at you that you can't expect. You have to kind of be okay with the unknown and understanding that when things don't go the way that they're meant to, it's not so much of a challenge as an opportunity, but you have to kind of be willing to accept that messy nature. Third, it takes time, right? You have to be patient in the process of action research um, because getting to the problem of challenges, especially that perhaps aren't your own, uh, is not something that, that can be glanced over, right? We're dealing with people's realities and the challenges oftentimes deeply embedded within issues that are sensitive and being open to taking the time to understand it and work through them together um, is something that you'd have to be open to. Um, we talked about tenure, right? And the formality of being an action researcher within academia. You talked me out of the idea that it is, that it isn't possible, right? Although, you know, tenure comes with certain restrictions and requirements. You've been really successful in negotiating that with your program. And um, it sounds like you're on, the, on a really productive path, um, not only to being an action researcher, but also incorporating it into your tenure requirements. Um, we talked about, and, and, and to conclude, you know, I asked you about the challenges or frustrations that you face and the way that I interpret it, you offered to. First is not overlooking the fact that collaboration can be difficult, right? Especially working with communities um, that you might not be um, from originally or part of, and just finding a way to kind of represent everybody's needs in that process, um, you know, is tough. I think you have to be um, open to really exploring your own processes as an action researcher as it relates to the ways in which you're collaborating and knowing that sometimes, you know, it's, it's not going to go the way that you plan. And connected with that, um, I believe what I heard you say as far as a frustration as an action researcher is just the different angles of criticism that can come at you. You know, it's a little bit, <laughs> there's a lot more angles for criticism in action research than in traditional forms of research. I think you used the wording that there's a lot more minefields to wade through. Um, but I think that's good because as you said, it does open the floor for critical dialogue. Um, and amongst the action research community, I think we're all kind of searching for the same outcome, which is um, social and positive change. You know, So if that comes through the form of constru constructive criticism, I think safe to say that's not only a challenge, but um, also an opportunity to, to, and I would encourage anybody, you know, who's driven by making positive change uh, to consider action research as a method or methodology that, uh, that they might want to consider. Hit the nail on the head. Hey, Joel, thanks. Thanks for your time. Thanks for uh, your thoughtful questions and summarizing what sometimes were long-winded responses. Uh, I'm sure that'll be helpful to the listener. Maybe we should do this again, you know, this interview process. I think, I don't, I don't think uh, in these absolute next episodes we'll be doing it. I think we want to start bringing, you know, have more of a presence of other people besides you and I, practitioners in the field, action researchers, budding scholars to hear from them. 
But let's circle back to our own research because I think it's really interesting to hear. Yeah, I, I know it advances my own process. So. Right. And it's iterative. So we're doing the action research process in our podcast. Totally. All right. Well, um, I think in signing off, I'll just say don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Just search The Action Research Podcast. And we should come up. That's going to be our main platform for where you can find information related to um, the podcast and future episodes. It's our it's where we hope we can have a presence with our audience and make this podcast interactive. So any questions that you have or things that you'd like to hear more about as it relates to action research, please go to Twitter and search the action research podcast. Uh, Joe, anything else you want to add before we sign off? That's about it. Thanks again to Shika, uh, the PhD student who's helping with the production of this uh, great work. And we will come out with a new episode pretty soon. We'll talk to you all soon. Yeah.